0: Well we're looking at Galatians chapter 5 and I want you to open up your Bible so you can follow along and then in the outline is there in the bulletin that you can take out and fill out as well. This is really what I would call a hallmark portion of scripture. It's just one of those great texts that I know that we're all familiar with who read the Bible but we're going to dig into it and trust that God will use this in our life because it's there for that purpose and it's so essential that that happens and so Galatians chapter 5 is where we are. And this will be the third message that I'm going to be bringing on the subject of how to keep from falling from grace. So it's the third message on how to keep from falling from grace. I've shared with you that many a Bible student has concluded that Galatians 5.1 is the central text or passage, uh, key verse to the book... And uh, Galatians 5 1, it's, I've mentioned it's a bridge. It's a bridge that crosses over and it spans your position in Christ that the Bible calls that one time act of God justifying you. And you span over to the other side. I should go this way, the other side, which takes you to your uh, practice in Christ that the Bible calls your sanctification. Galatians 5 1 reads. Here's this bridge now with both sides. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now that's your position in Christ, your justification, your new birth. Therefore, that's the bridge. It spans from your position over to the other side. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now that's your practice in Christ, your sanctification, your living a holy godly life, you're living the victorious Christian life. But you will remember that Paul's great concern for these Galatian Christians, uh, Gentiles, by the way, that had gotten saved, the Judaizers had come in after Paul and his team had left the Galatian region and had been teaching these Galatian Christians that they really had not gotten fully saved yet. Yes, they had to believe that Jesus was their Messiah, that he died on the cross, bearing all of their sins and their judgment, their punishment. But that was not enough. They also had to commit themselves to keeping parts of the law of Moses. And they're talking about customs, for example, as well as feast days. And ultimately, they wanted them to undergo circumcision. In other words, salvation required faith in Christ Plus a system of works. And Satan continues to use that throughout the world today. You can't just trust Christ alone. There's got to be something added to that some kind of works, some kind of religion, some kind of sacraments before you truly get saved. That's Satan's ploy, that's his deceptive lie. And these Christians, these Galatian Christians, were leaning toward these Judaizers' requirements for salvation. And Paul strongly asserts to them that if they turn from Christ alone as the only work on that cross for their salvation, then they're going to have fallen from grace. They're going to fall from grace. Christ will be of no benefit to them, he says, and God will require them that they must keep perfectly without any failure whatsoever the whole law. Keep the whole thing. Either they're going to trust Christ and Christ alone to save them and keep them saved, or, they're going to have to work for their salvation, and if so, if so, God's going to require them absolute perfection, and that perfection has to start right from the mother's womb. How about that? That's God's perfect, holy requirement. As we examine in verses 2 through 6, I share with you that you could not fall from grace if you never were in grace. Keep that in mind. How can you fall from something if you're not in it? But the Bible teaches concerning the genuine believer, what? For by grace, you said, you've been saved through faith. You're right. So you're saved by faith. And then he goes on, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we're saved by grace. We stand in grace. So that's the position of the believer. And hopefully you've also learned from the scripture, if you've been under the teaching here for any length of time, a person who is genuinely saved can never lose his or her salvation. That's a work of God. And if you haven't uh, learned that, then I would trust that you would get in the Word and study that out. Because if you're genuinely saved, you cannot lose that salvation that God gave you. And therefore, I conclude with Galatians 5, verses 2 through 6, that is talking about a genuine believer falling from grace. You and me. You see how this comes back to apply and relate to you and me as saved people? A genuine believer falling from grace, not losing his or her salvation, but no longer abiding in Christ. And he's one of the commanded those who are already clean in John 15, his 11 disciples he said. Abide, he commands. Abide in Christ. That's an important key thing. John brings that out over and over again. First John, by the way, abide in Christ. We're commanded to do that as say people. So, with this premise in mind, we continued now back where we had continued through verses seven through fifteen, where we examined, I believe, two very powerful principles that can help us keep from falling from grace during our earthly sojourn down here on earth as we await that upward call from God when he will take us home to glory. And that first principle that we looked at was verses 7 through 12 is this, and you have it there in your outline if you want to fill that in again. Your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Your grace, the fact that you have a standing in grace. You see, Paul's going to bring that out in, um, in uh, Romans 7, Acts 6 and 7. There's that desire in you to always respond in obedience to the truth. And we looked at several statements in the book of Romans that bore that out. When a person responds to the gospel and God saves them and gives them this new standing in his grace, it always leads to the obedience of faith. There's no such thing as praying to ask Jesus into your heart and not having it lead you to the obedience of faith. If that's never happened, I don't care what you prayed, you didn't get saved. It always leads. And four times we saw that in the gospel, or that is the book of Romans, which really is a gospel. Four times that is brought out. This does not mean, though, that you as a Christian ever fall into sin. You know better than that, we do. But it does mean there is within us that desire to obey God. From verses 7-12, through 12, I ask you three searching questions that will help you discern where you are. And they really are good questions for you as well as for me. So I put them in your outline again. And they'll tell you whether or not you have fallen from grace. How about that? As a safe person. They'll tell you whether or not you have fallen from grace. Again, I do not mean whether or not you as a genuine Christian have lost your salvation. That can never happen to a genuine Christian. But whether or not you are abiding in Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and empower your life instead of walking in your flesh. Here are those three questions. From verse 7, Are you running well? Are you running well? Verse 7 says, you are running well. Picture the Galatian Christians. Are you running well? We're admonished, by the way, in the book of Hebrews to pay much closer attention to that truth, that teaching that we are given, lest we want drift, drift. May I suggest to you that a lot of Christians are drifting. They're not running well. They started out well. But they're drifting. And he says, how shall we escape if we neglect? How about that? I can neglect so great a salvation? Well, you have to have it before you can neglect it. And yes, you can drift. So are you running well? Secondly, second key question, is your persuasion coming from God? The latter part of verse 7, he says, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. That's an interesting word. You and I are constantly being persuaded by someone or something, right? Influence. Impact upon us. Our culture is there. I mean, we're in this culture. And and boy, do they throw it at you. It can be a person. It can be a religion. It can be... Uh, a thing as well as a person. But is your persuasion coming from God? You know, uh, you have to watch, be so careful what you watch and hear these days because, boy, that persuasion gets in you. And it affects your thinking. So is your persuasion coming from God? And then the third one, are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? I'll read just verse 9, although it's verse 9 through 12 that we developed last time we were here. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Just a little bit in you, and what happens? It leavens the whole of your life. You see how these three questions probe about this whole issue of, have I fallen from grace, or am I walking in fellowship, abiding in Christ, being controlled and filled with God the Holy Spirit here. Well, that brought the next principle that I shared with you from verses 13 through 15 the last time we were looking at Galatians 5. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Wow! It reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples in that upper room before going to the cross. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if what? You have love one for another. And he set that example. That's sacrificial love, by the way. It's agape love. That's sacrificial love. And your grace has freed you, it's freed me, to express ourselves in sacrificial love. Your freedom in Christ is defined in verse 13. For you were called to freedom. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another that's a definition you're freed now to live the life of Christ not your old sinful self so that principle your grace over I'm sorry uh, your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love that freedom is defined but secondly your freedom in Christ is explained in verse 14 for the whole law here it is the whole law here the whole law of God it's fulfilled in one word in the statement You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's that sacrificial love. Such love does not steal from your neighbor. Such love does not lie to your neighbor. Such law law does not defraud your neighbor. It does not uh, covet your neighbor stuff. It does not bear false witness against your neighbor. It does not murder your neighbor. You see that? That sacrificial love. And when you look at these principles, you say, but I could never do that. You're right. You're absolutely right. We'll get to the third principle for that reason in a minute. But then your freedom in Christ abused was verse 15. Your freedom in Christ abused. But if you bite and devour one another, it's like two animals tearing each other apart. Take care that you are not consumed by one another. That would be, of course, the abuse of this freedom. So those two main principles that help us understand about and get the victory over falling from grace as one who's saved, genuinely saved, and that is your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. There's a desire in you and driving you to obey God and his word. And secondly, your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. So one relates to you walking with the Lord, the other relates to your relationship with one another and the people around you. And now Paul gives us the third principle that is, if followed and implemented, will keep us from falling from grace. You've seen it before, you've thought a lot about it, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you and me to better get a hold of this one, and it will become more and more our lives. Your grace overcomes your flesh only. I underline that for a reason. Your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. Now, we're going to develop that, or Paul is for us. So profound, so vitally important to you and me as a believer. But your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. And we come immediately to the absolute necessity. I want you to write that down in your outline. The absolute necessity for you to understand and grasp this great truth. The sad part is we go through most of our Christian life not doing that. We're so convinced that somehow if I work harder, try harder, I can pull it off and that we find we do not do it. This comes from God, not from Bill. Is that good? So the absolute necessity for you to understand and grasp this great truth, there is a reason God exhorts or commands you and me to walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 16 where Paul writes, Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He reemphasizes that again down in verse 25. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. When you got saved and you were given your new nature nature in Christ... Your evil nature, your evil nature was neither destroyed nor eradicated. It's still in you. I don't know if you're going to say amen to that, but I'm going to tell you, it's still in you. It's still in me. God calls that your flesh. Sometimes he means a physical body, but here it's Flesh. In this case, he does not mean your physical body, but rather that sin nature you were born with that is still in your physical body. Some label it your unredeemed sinful humanness that is still in you, while others call it the sin nature. Whatever you want to call it, it's there. Okay? It's there. But the Bible teaches you that though your old sin nature has not been eradicated, its power over you has been broken. And I think that sometimes is what Christians can't get all of. They just can't believe what God says in Romans 6. It's power over you has been broken. That's not true of the unsaved person. Only the saved person can say that. You no longer have to obey it. You've been in habit of obeying it for all these many years, but you no longer have to obey it. It's power has been broken, though it constantly, it constantly attempts to get you to do so, just as it did before you got saved. It's there. Paul's point is, you cannot win this ongoing internal battle on your own. But oh, how hard for us to learn that lesson. You cannot win it on your own. That's the point of verse 17. Read it. Verse 17, it's there in your Bible. Probably on the wall behind me here. Okay. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And I take that last statement there both ways. So that you may not do the things that you please. In my flesh, it wants to do certain things, and the Spirit stands in its way, empower my spirit, and so there's a struggle there. Or it's my spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, we're going to do this, and my flesh stands in its way, and it's battling it. So you can take it both ways there. The Apostle Paul knew this battle well. So you're not by yourself in this one. He knew it well. He writes his, his own personal internal conflict, his testimony over in chapter 7 of Romans. And I want to read some of that. Listen to his testimony. I want to read Romans 7, 14-24. So you can follow along there, Romans 7, 14-24. Let me find it here. And I have a reason to believe that this is Paul who's saved. This is Paul who's saved, who's writing this, about his experience. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but... I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. That's that first principle I brought out to you. That your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. That new I in you always does that. It doesn't mean you pull it off, but it's there doing that. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am practicing what I, I would like to do. For I am not practicing what I like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one who doing it, but sin which dwells in me. This is your my battle. This is this is the everyday thing going on. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. There it is again, that new first principle. The willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He's not making an excuse here. He's explaining exactly what this battle is going on in you and me and in him as well. I find, then, the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. Let me stop right there. No unsaved person would ever say that. I'm not thinking about just Paul. I mean, no unsaved person will. I joyfully concur with the law of God. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, and by the way your mind, your mind is so vital in this battle, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? That's Paul's testimony to you and me. That's the battle that's going on in the life of every Christian that's here on earth. That you know it well. I know it well. That's why this is such a cardinal passage to look at. Notice the Christian, get this. You won't, but try to get it. Try to get it. Notice the Christian cannot simply will to overcome his or her flesh. Get that? Huh. You cannot will to overcome it. That's his whole point. You think you can do it? It's impossible. The great apostle Paul, who was so rigidly disciplined, couldn't do it. And you're not going to be able to do it either. Neither am I. But that is a hard lesson for us to learn in this journey. <laughs> That's Paul's point here in Galatians 5. You on your own cannot win this internal conflict. You're not going to be able to do it. But your grace overcomes your flesh when you walk by the Spirit. Boy. Now, why did Paul go further and add verse 18, though? Look at that. It's in the context. Why did he go further and add that? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Up to this point, until these Judaizers showed up and tried to place these uh, Gentile Christians in Galatia under law, They had lived their new life in Christ. They were living victoriously. They were dependent upon the Holy Spirit in accordance with the teaching that Paul had brought to them. The power of their sinful nature had been broken. The divine nature had been implanted and the Holy Spirit had entered their hearts, their lives to take up permanent residence. But now, but now a new factor has entered called the law. And so with it, self-effort to obey that law now begins to kick in. Listen, the entrance of this new factor meant the Holy Spirit no longer had opportunity to take charge and empower them to live the victorious Christian life. They had short-circuited the Holy Spirit's power in their life as soon as they tried to bring the law in and say, now we're going to keep the law in order for us to keep saved. Follow that? That's why he brings a, this reminds me of one account in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. You might remember it if you read that, a man goes into interpreter's house and finds a large room there where dust covers everything. Goes into the room, dust, I mean, it is thick, it is everywhere. A girl comes in with a broom and starts sweeping, and you know the result causing everybody to cough and choke and gag and so forth. And the only way they can stop their coughing and gagging and choking is when someone else comes in and pours water all over everything, the whole room. Interpreter explains the meaning of the story like this. The power is the heart of man who has never been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin and inward corruption that have defiled the man. She who began to sweep is the law. Got it? It's the law coming in, doing its thing. All the law could do was stir up the dust, reveal the old sinful heart. And every time you try to keep the law and you try to do it, that's all you're doing is stirring up the dust, the law, and failing miserably. The water sprinkled to keep down the dust is the gospel. You call it the Holy Spirit here, subduing sin and making the soul clean. I think we get the point there. The law of God cannot enable you to win this internal war. Did you hear that? God's law cannot enable you in any way to win this internal war. Only as you yield to the entwelling Holy Spirit do you win the war. And if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, he says. There it is. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 10 verses 14 through 17 Tell us the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts and gives us the desire to obey it. It says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And I love that verse. Think about what he said. That one offering, we even sang that in our songs service this morning, at the cross where he offered his atoning work, it's perfected you for all time, you who have asked him to be your Savior. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them, he then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Beautiful. The Holy Spirit writes God's law on your and you my heart. You know what else Jesus said? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sacrificial love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And Paul would later write these words. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so God has poured out his love into your and my heart when we got saved. And that's why we keep his commandments. Because we love him. And it's all a work of the Holy Spirit in your and my life. Look again at verse 18. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the Let me ask you a question. You're driving down Interstate 5. You're on the inside lane, okay? And you're rolling along 70 miles an hour. You see the posted speed sign that says 60. But everybody out in front of you is moving 70 on the inside lane as well. So you just keep, do you slow down? Ah, what's the law say? You tell me what I say it said. what this. You saw the sign. It said 60. Do you slow down? Not a chance. Not a chance. Let's create a new image here. You're on the inside lane. People in front of you are driving 70. You're also driving 70. Okay. And you come up on that sign that says it's posted. 60 miles an hour. What's the law? What are you supposed to do? 60, do you slow down? You liars. Yeah. <laughs> if you slow down, get in the, get out of the inside lane. You, 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 you're like me. You roll right along with the rest of the traffic. But suddenly you look in your rear view mirror and you see a marked patrolman's car. Do you slow down? (laughs) Which had its effect on you? The posted law or the live person behind you? Do you see the analogy with regard to the Holy Spirit living in your life? That's why you overcome. He says here again in verse... 18, I believe it is. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Amazing. So we've seen that your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. And your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. But you in yourself can never pull either of these off. I can't pull that off. And so Paul gives us this third principle to keep us from falling from grace in our everyday living of our Christian lives. Your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It's important we understand that, to walk by the Spirit. Simply put, it means to live your everyday life as the Lord Jesus Christ would live it. Allowing Him to control your thoughts... Motives, words, actions, and so forth. That's how Paul concluded his personal testimony about that great inner conflict that he was having with his flesh, his old sin nature, and his new nature. He wrote, writes in Romans 7.25, and here he gives the answer. Romans 7.25, Thanks be to God through, through, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. And in Romans chapter 8 he develops how you win this great battle by yielding daily and moment by moment to the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's what it means to, dear ones, abide in Christ. You know, day in, day out, you're in Christ, you're out. You're in, you're out with regard to abiding in him. All a matter of yielding to the Holy Spirit or yielding to your flesh. We're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May I suggest that someone or something always fills you and me? Think about that. Something or someone always fills you. It might be anger. It might be joy. It might be uh, disgust, frustration, worry, or it might be resting in the Lord and so forth someone or something always fills you we're told let the word of Christ richly dwell in you so again back to that mind the mind has to be developed here I talked about what is persuading or what persuasion is it he says there in verse uh, uh, verse uh, 8 this persuasion did not come from him who called you or called you what what is the thing persuading you It's dealing with your mind again. Let this word of Christ richly dwell in you. Colossians 3.16 And the Holy Spirit authored this book we call the Bible and that is what he uses to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Mind. That's why Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18 as he closes that book, that letter, Grow. But grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're commanded to have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus in Philippians 2, five. And so Paul exhorts and commands us to walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is not a let go and let God, though. You need to understand that. Boy, which is that way. God says, it will be when I take you home, Bill. Then you can let go and let God. But right now... You're involved in this as well. We're commanded to play a role, and perhaps a quote from Kenneth S. Weiss can help us here. He writes these words, The Holy Spirit has been given to the believer as the agent to counteract the evil nature, but he does that for the saint when that saint puts himself under his control and by an act of his free will says a point-blank positive no to sin." In other words, he writes, there must be a cooperation of the saint with the Holy Spirit in his work of sanctifying the life. The Holy Spirit is not a perpetual motion machine which operates automatically in the life of the believer. He is a divine person waiting to be depended upon for his ministry and expecting the saint to cooperate with him in it. Thus the choice lies with the believer as to whether he is going to yield to the Holy Spirit or obey the evil nature. He goes on, The Spirit is always there to give victory over that nature as the saint says a point-blank no to sin and at the same time trusts the Spirit to give him victory over it. End of quote. So you just can't let go and let God know it's a very real on in you all the time but the more you say no to your flesh the stronger your spirit becomes and the weaker the flesh becomes in your life as well and so it's a growing process and dear you're not going to finish that battle until God finally takes you home sorry to say it you won't finish until he finally takes you home the battle continues on and the only answer is this principle that we've seen here your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. It's no wonder that we read in Philippians 2, and you've heard me use this verse many a time, verses 12 and 13. Actually, the last part of verse 12 says, it's a command, work out, kata ergon, it means to work down in, literally, you're not working for, you've already got the salvation, then work it down in, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will, and to work for his good pleasure. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit in you working. And that's the battle that continues to rage in your and my life. But the victory can be ours. Well, secondly, how self manifests itself when it controls your life. We're not going to go into great detail here. But how self manifests itself when it controls your life. Let me read verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Paul doesn't list them all. (laughs) Things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He describes how self manifests itself when it controls your life. Now, some people get a hold of this, and they say, well, yeah, but i got that under control. You know what? That's still the flesh there, isn't it? And God does not honor anything out of our flesh. In this list he kind of developed it into three different categories. First, you have what I could be described as sensual sins. Immorality, for example, is illicit sex between an unmarried or a married person, people. Impurity and sensuality there. Second grouping could be described superstitious sins. That's idolatry and sorcery. And then the third category could be labeled social sins. Social sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, crowdsings. Just let self get on the throne to take control, and it will manifest itself in these ways and many others as well. As I said, this is not an inclusive list, but notice two things, the two things Paul states about these manifestations of one's flesh. First, he calls them works. <laughs> They're works. The New American Standard says deeds, but the Greek really is ergons, works. Works speak of effort, mechanics, toil, labor. Works result in weariness, faintness, failure, if I can add that, and often frustration. But secondly, Paul states in verse 21, look at verse 21, And the things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These sins characterize the unsaved person's life. their character traits. Paul, Paul is indicating that unbelievers habitually characterized by such deeds are not kingdom citizens. Now listen. Yes, Christians do fall into sin. But they are forgiven and the indwelling Holy Spirit like that police officer in that marked car does restrain them from habitually in uninterrupted sinning there's a restraint going on in your life and that's good that's good but this is how self manifests itself when you allow it to control your life but we come now to number 3 how the holy spirit manifests himself when he controls your life and that is so well known verses 22 and 23 We've already seen two ministries of the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the way, here in this text. He enables us to fulfill the law and he also enables us to overcome our flesh. But here's a third ministry. The Holy Spirit enables us to produce fruit. Verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such there is no law. Immediately we see the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit. Works, fruit of the Spirit. We're told the flesh produces dead works in Hebrews 9.14, but the Holy Spirit produces living fruit. And the flesh, along with any amount of legalism, self-effort, can no more produce such fruit than placing apples on a cactus will make a cactus an apple tree. Boy, how we yield to the flesh to try to do that. But it's an impossibility, and that's what you have to learn here. The process of fruit bearing is from inward to outward, not from outward inward. And as we've learned from the book of Galatians, no law has ever been given that can produce life. Think about that. There's no law that's ever been given that can produce life. Only God, the Holy Spirit, produces life. And that's why you were born again. And he's the one who produces this fruit and gives you victory over your flesh. You should have picked up on the fact that Paul uses a singular, and not plural. He writes fruit, not fruits, plural. All nine of these character traits are a unit that all grow together in the life of the yielded believer. Isn't that, well, I got my self-control under, I got that under control, but I don't have, my, I don't have the love under control. No, it's a, a whole unit here. I mean, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, he produces all of these nine fruit, and even much more than that, in you and me. It's not at all surprising that Paul begins with love. Actually here, sacrificial love. Because all the other eight are directly affected by your sacrificial love. And it reminds us, by the way, of what Paul wrote there that in, uh, in that principle there. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Without the Holy Spirit's empowerment, neither you and I could ever do that. We just cannot sacrificially love the unlovely and those who are evil and hurt us and so forth only the holy spirit can do that and you know what that was the life of christ wasn't it that's how he lived and now he is your and my life reminds me of verse 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word and one statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself that's the fruit of the spirit This is how the Holy Spirit manifests himself when I allow him to control my life. That's how he'll manifest himself in your life as well when you allow him to control your life. And now number four, how your position in Christ makes possible your practice in Christ. How your position in Christ makes possible your practice in Christ. Verses 24 through 26 Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, and so forth here. How your position in Christ makes possible your practice in Christ. Did you notice we've come full circle? Come full circle here. We saw that in Galatians 5.1, that's the bridge that takes us from our position over to our practice, and he's told you now how to keep from falling from grace. As you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by that Spirit. And the first time that Paul states this great truth is over in Galatians two twenty. That's the first time. Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It's a once for all act. When I've once been saved, you've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live but what's it say? say it out loud Christ lives in me say it again Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh that's that physical body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me and here we see it in the second time here verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Paul isn't through. He's going to say it one more time in chapter 6, verse 25. Look there. Chapter 6, not verse 25, I'm sorry. Get the right verse here. And that is uh, verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Three major times he's emphasized your position in Christ you've been crucified with him he's now your life then let him live your life as he stated there I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 25 if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit and then we go to that last verse there And that last verse says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And all I want to say about that is this. Whenever you walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill verse 25. No matter what happens in your life, you will not fulfill verse 25. You will not become boastful. You will not challenge one another. You will not envy one another. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. And so, you and I need to daily, moment by moment, recognize the Holy Spirit's presence in us. That's a you got to get in the habit. Get up in the morning and say, "Good morning, Holy Spirit. I love you. I love your Word." As you read the Word, let Him speak to your heart. Speak back to Him. Recognize the as you drive to work or to school or wherever, recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. As problems come up, and they will, and you know they will, and difficulties and, and, and stuff, I mean, the conflict will take place. That's, that's life here upon the earth. Recognize the Holy Spirit. And take these three principles. Your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. It always responds in obedience to the truth, as Paul said there in Romans chapter 7. Secondly, your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. You say, is that possible when somebody is persecuting you and and ranting and raving and causing you horrible horrible pain and trouble and discord? Yes, it is. But not on your own. Not on your own. You can't pull it off, neither can I. You know that. Boy, the flesh surges itself up. And you've got to have the Holy Spirit press that down. And your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. Dear ones, that's our journey. That's our journey. And it'll take the rest of our life to learn it. And God will give you all kinds of opportunities. He's going to give you test after test after test, and me as well, to learn that. And hopefully we'll learn up more and more and we'll become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a cardinal passage of Scripture that's before us. We believe with all of our heart that we are saved by putting our faith in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we really believe with all of our heart that though we can't take you out and examine you and feel you and so forth, yet Holy Spirit of God... You, the third person of the Trinity, you dwell within our very being. We can't comprehend or understand it. We just accept it by faith. You're there. And we believe you're the one who authored this book we call the Bible. And you said, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's the only thing with your help and empowerment that's going to change our thinking and our habits. And Lord, the flesh is in Oh, how the flesh loves sin. I mean, it loves sin. It, it, like a hog, it goes to the trash and eats the trash. And yet there's that, that uh, sheep in it that says, I don't want trash. I want the green grass. I want the clean stuff. And that battle is wait, wait, raging and waging a war in each one of us who's redeemed. But Heavenly Father, you have shown us through Paul, both in Romans 7 as well as chapter 8 of Romans, and here in Galatians 5, how this battle, battle is won on a moment by moment basis. And maybe if nothing else, Lord, help us remember when we're driving on the interstate, we see the signpost, the law posted there, but it doesn't have much of an impact in our life. And we know the right and wrong and the scriptures that's posted there, but it doesn't always have an impact in our life. But oh boy, when that state patrolman comes up behind us, that does have an impact in us. And may the Holy Spirit who's in us have that very same kind of an impact in our life. And may we begin to grow more and more into the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just pray that somehow, way, we'll take another step of maturity in Christ and you'll be glorified as we bear much fruit. In Jesus, your name we pray.